So that being said, the last attack that I received was I had gotten to my breaking point. Um, it was the worst attack um, uh, that particular night. It started from nine o'clock the night before and went till about two o'clock the next morning where he would stop and go, stop and go. And um, I had to make a choice. I had to figure out where whether or not I wanted to just lay next to him in the bed after the attack was finished because he fell asleep like nothing had happened. In this episode, we will talk about leaving a legacy, domestic violence, and hope. We'll dive right into Laverne Gordon's creator story, understand her process and what she had to do in order to survive. Be sure to listen in to hear all the details. Hello, my wonderful beasties. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to The Creator's Inner Beast. In today's episode, we have Laverne Gordon, who's the president of Love Life Foundation. Thank you, Laverne, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tina. Yes. Um, So what is one courageous story that you would like to share today? Wow. So my courageous story is centered around the issue of domestic violence, um, which is something that I have survived two times over. Once as a child witness to the issue and the second um, as an adult survivor of a two-year relationship, almost two-year relationship. And... Um, you know, as a child witness to this issue, it was very hard to witness your mother being brutally abused at the hands of your father and not be able to to do anything or help. But at the same time, I kept telling myself that what she was experiencing is something that I did not ever want to experience. And so for all intent purposes, I kept, you know, sort of driving my life toward a different route. Um, you know, even though our father was this abusive monster, he on the flip side was also uh, articulate, uh, educated, uh, you know, charming, and I wanted to be all of those things. I didn't want to. I didn't want. Ha- I want. I didn't want anything but to do with the bad side of him. I wanted to emulate the good side. And um, my mother, on the flip side at the time, was uneducated, um, wholly and financially dependent on our father. And, um, you know, again, I wanted to be the opposite of that. And so by the time I was, you know, of age and living in the States, my father had allowed me to come to the States to finish high school, finished high school, went to college, was going to Suffolk University at nights at the time and was working an entry-level job in corporate America when I met um, my abuser. And he, for all intent purposes, displayed a lot of the characteristics of my father. And um, I, I gravitated towards that. And we started dating. Um, and then within three months, it became abusive. So I saw all the good things that I wanted to see in the beginning and missed all of the red flags of those types of relationships. And um, by the time, you know, the first physical assault happened, it was like, my God. This has happened to me, but, you know, I went ahead and accepted his apology at the time. And I diminished, because of the elaborate apology that he came with, I diminished everything that had happened prior. All the red flags and the things that made me question in those first three months of the relationship that, you know, even though things were good, it's like, hmm, why did he want to know where I was. Why does he always, why do we always have to talk so many times before I even get to work? 
Um, you know, why is he so concerned about the guy friends that I have? You know, all of these things were things that happened leading up to the first physical assault, but there were things yeah. that I quickly dismissed because I kept saying, besides that, everything else is good. Despite that, everything else is good. And so I kept sort of tunneling down this road um, and really dismissed all the things that were glaring at me and didn't realize that they were really big red flags. And yeah. so by the time the first apology came, it was to the point where, you know, I'm already in it. He he took a really elaborate route to apologize to me. Um, so that means they mean it, right? He means it. And what kind of elaborate apology do you do? So he, you know, bought two dozen purple roses. He dropped them off um, to where I was living. And I walked into my bedroom and there they were. He left a slew of, of messages of apologizing and sounding very remorseful and begging me to call him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And in that call, he also was very remorseful and said that, you know, he actually put some of the blame on me for what had happened. He said, I, you know, I love you so much that the thought of you being with someone else drives me insane. And he basically was blaming his love for me um, for the, you know, and, and equating it to the fact that, you know, that's why I erupted and I slapped you. It was because, gosh, the thought of you leaving me and being with someone else drives me insane. And so, you know, I listened to him and the remorse in his voice and all of that just sort of led me to the, to believing that this was never going to happen again. He was so remorseful. He was so apologetic that it was a one and done. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, when you're in those types of relationships, it's, it's, we do not understand um, that this is never a one and done. This was never a mistake that it was a choice that someone made to do. And it wasn't something that it's not going to, it's a pattern of behavior that is beginning. But of course, when you're in it, you know, and you're, you're you, you know, you're know. knee deep three months into the relationship and things have been going quote unquote great. You do not want to believe that this, this, that they could be lying to you. And that's exactly what it was. It was a lie and a ruse to keep me at bay. Um, and to get back into the honeymoon phase of the relationship. So that being said, that accepting that apology turned into almost two years of physical, emotional, and verbal abuse. And up until the last time that I, when I, when I received my last beating. Um, and this was, you know, at a time where I was still working for this corporate um, company and going to school at Suffolk. And now, but the only difference is now that I, I lived in my own studio apartment. Um, and so he would come and he would frequent and, you know, visit me and stay nights and then leave and come until, um, this particular night, this was almost two years into the relationship. So over the next year and some change, um, he continued to ramp up the level of abuse. I mean, the first assault was a slap and it turned into much more than that over the course of time. Right. Um, so his jealous and paranoid behavior escalated throughout and, um, you know, it just became something where I was so ashamed of what was happening to me because I had said I would never be that person. I would never be my mom. And here I was experiencing some level of that. Now in my mind, I kept saying it's not to the level that she had experienced. So it's still not that bad, right? I still have 
some control somewhere over the situation it's you know like you're just like you're justifying it and yes absolutely mm -hmm. uh, and to the point where you know i would say well at least i'm not getting beaten in front of my house at least the neighbors don't see me getting hit this is all behind closed doors and i can still show up to work and i can still show up to school and nobody will know right whereas hers in the caribbean which is where i grew up um, you know, it's a very common thing for husbands or spouses to put their hands on their partners and it's a completely accepted thing. So if it's happening, it's really none of your business and you just kind of go about you or you come on, you watch if it's happening in, in public, you, you know, watch? This you many neighbors would come out and, and watch my mother get beaten. And, um, so again, in my mind, I am saying it is not that bad. Yeah. And I still have some control. People don't know that this is happening to me. And I can keep the secret because I do not want to be burdened with the shame or the blame for mm -hmm. this happening to me. And not understanding that that was not the truth. It was not my blame or shame to carry, right? So that being said, the last attack that I received was I had gotten to my breaking point. Um, it was the worst attack um, uh, that particular night. It started from nine o'clock the night before and went till about two o'clock the next morning where he would stop and go, stop and go. And um, I had to make a choice. I had to figure out where, whether or not I wanted to just lay next to him in the bed after the attack was finished because he fell asleep, like nothing had happened. And, or get up and get myself help. And for the first time in almost two years, I decided to get myself help. And I took myself to the, an emergency room where um, I lied to the ER triage nurses and said that I had fallen in the shower and certain places were hurting. But when the ER doctor came into the room, he said, um, the first thing holding up these x-rays, he said, who did this to you? Um, because these injuries aren't consistent with you falling in the shower. And I can't tell you how daunting that was. The idea of being found out the idea of the police potentially getting involved, the idea of going to a, a domestic violence shelter in, a, in what I thought was a big open room with beds with a bunch of people that I did not know was daunting. Everything about him offering help was scary. And so I did tell him the truth, but I did urge him not to tell anybody else. Like I just wanted to go home and be done with this. At that point, and even before that, I knew that I would never go back to my abuser. I knew that it was done. I, 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 at the point, understood that if I had gone back, that he would either kill me or hurt me even more than what I was at that particular point. And so um, what I did not realize is that when victims seek to leave these types of relationships, it is the most dangerous time for them. Oftentimes you will hear on the news that, you know, he was, she was getting ready to leave and he killed her. She was getting ready to leave and he shot himself or her and the kids or, you know, any one of these stories that you hear on the news, it's not because, you know, this just happened. It's because it was brewing behind closed doors um, way before you heard it on the news. And so I was no exception in trying to leave um, or telling my, myself that I was done and about two weeks hearing nothing from him. And at the two week mark, him picking up the phone and calling me and saying, you know, hey, I'm coming over and me saying, finally, for the first time, I am through with you. 
you almost tried to kill me a couple of weeks ago. And then hearing from him again that I caused some of that, right? I was the cause of what, why that happened. And that just reinforced why I didn't need to go back, right? Yeah. And I said, you know, you can't come over. Um, I changed the locks. And hearing when a, when an abuser hears no from their victims or I'm through or I'm done or this is never happening again, that sends them into a frenzy oftentimes. And again, no exception here. Um, he attempted to break into my apartment that particular day after I told him that I was through, he cut the phone lines in my basement to make sure that I had no access to the outside world. How, how, did, he, he, how, he, how did he do that? Well, he knew the building, right? So he knew the building. He knew where the phone lines were. And so before he even, so he showed up, tried to bang the door, asked me to come in. I said, no, what are you doing here? Please leave. Um, he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. I said, no. He then went to his car got a, something like a crowbar um, that he used to try to uh, jimmy the lock or get in between the locks. But before that, he also, like I said, cut the phone lines in the basement so that if I tried to use my landline to call for help that I wouldn't have. So if he had gotten into my, my apartment that day, I don't think I might've been sitting here speaking to you. Um, he had all intentions to do me harm. That particular day was the very first time that I had called police. Um, I had a cell phone. He knew that I didn't have minutes on it um, because I typically back in that back then, this is the you know early 2000s, you would have to pay for prepaid minutes on your phone. I remember. And so, <laughs> right. And so I would um, re-up my minutes. I had this routine where I would re-up my minutes every Saturday. So this particular Saturday when he showed up, he knew that I hadn't re-upped my minutes and, and cut the phone lines to my landline so I wouldn't have access. So you know, I had heard in passing that even if you didn't have minutes on your phone, you could still um, use it to call emergency um, lines. And so I tried and called 911 and I got through. So he heard me speaking to the operator and then he realized that it was a real phone call and fled before the police came. So the police showing up, he knew then now that I would now physically call for help. God forbid he ever tried to do something to me. So he never came physically you know, toward me in a physical sense, but then he started stalking me. And so showing up in places where he knew I would be, he was leaving derogatory notes on a car that I was using at the time, just to let me know that he was around. And at any point he had access to me. And that's when I finally, finally decided to file for a restraining order. Um, mm -hmm. Because I knew that, you know, it was, I had to do something to try to protect myself. So filing the restraining order, that was a whole other process going through the court system at 23 years old, you know, going into court and, you know, facing this issue on your own. It was, that was all completely daunting as well. But many victims do not get that chance. They do not get the chance to get to file the restraining order, or if they file the restraining order, sometimes they violate it. And just to, I know, just it's the idea of just getting people to understand how layered le leaving can look like. It is not just picking up and going outside or leaving, going to your sister's house and stay. It is so much more than that because there's so many things that you have to think about, um, not just for your own safety, but what they could potentially want to do, right? So yeah. safety planning is so paramount, which is something I didn't have access, well, I didn't know about at the time. Mm -hmm. Um 
and why it's so important to get in contact with your local domestic violence agency to have someone help you safety plan and think about the things that you may not be thinking about when you're in that fight or flight moment trying to get yourself safe. It's really the reason why I started the organization that I did, um, Love Life Now Foundation. And coming from a child witness point of view, as well as a survivor, um, an adult survivor is really um, what drives me to do the work that I do every day. I'm still feeling my feelings. Uh, <laughs> I have no words yet. But I mean, it's understandable too, because yeah, it's, you went through a lot. Yeah. 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 And like you said, it makes sense with all the layers that you said about, it's not just done one go. There's so many layers behind of like what your abuser would, uh, what your abuser or any abuser would do in exactly. order to reach to their goal. Exactly. Bring, bring you back again. Exactly. It's all about power and control, right? Yeah. It's how do I keep you from ever having control of your life and making sure that you know that I still have some level of power over you, even though you've left or even though you sought to leave? How do I keep some level of power and control over you? And that's what this issue really is, is around. That's what it situates. It's It's power and control. So again, the idea of you saying that you are done and you are through and you're never, you never want to deal with this again. It's like, how dare you? In their minds, it's how dare you? I will tell you when this is over, if it ever is over, right? You don't get to choose. I do. So um, it is so paramount for, for, for folks to be able to safety plan and have wraparound services to be able to help them get to the next leg of their journey when it, when it comes to getting safe. Yeah. So what do you, for the the foundation that you created, what what does it entail of like helping other 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 people as well? Yeah, so Love Life Now was formed to really get education out around the issue of abuse. Things that I and my mother were not privy to when we were experiencing abuse and many other folks in these situations. And so um initially we just really wanted people to listen. Um, I was not aware of domestic violence agencies when I ended up in the ER um, after my last attack. And again, the idea of help was so daunting to me. Um, it was very scary. And the, you know, the unknown uh, is something that makes you sometimes even turn back and say, I'm, I'm going to go back because I can't deal with this on my own. Somebody's had control over my life for all this time. And I think I need to just go back to that, go back to the, the devil that I know rather than deal with the devil that I don't know. And um, that's why you hear oftentimes it takes victims on average seven to 10 times to leave. And that's if they end up leaving, right? Or yeah. if they get the chance to leave. So the organization Love Life Now, we started out with, you know, being focused around awareness. Um, but over the years, we've developed and um, initiated initiatives that center around education as well, but get people getting to be a part of the solution. So we host every quarter, we're hosting one initiative at least um, to get people involved. And it may be a fundraiser um, that encompasses an education arm around it. Every um, uh, in-person event that is a fundraiser, we have a domestic violence representative there from an agency 
that does the safety planning, that does the counseling, that does the housing, um, to be able to talk about the services that they provide, because oftentimes people don't know that they even exist. And we want people to know about all the help that is available to them throughout the state of Massachusetts and beyond. Um, and then we also have a Get Safe Fund that you know, helps folks with an immediate domestic violence related expense mm -hmm. so that they can um, get to the next leg, leg of their journey. It is certainly not a solution. It is something to, again, keep them moving in the right direction. Uh, sometimes you will hear that, you know, a victim went back because of the financial expenses or they couldn't afford something because their abuser used to take care of it. Well, the Get Safe Fund helps with that. Um, just this past week, we had someone needing help with, um, this is probably about a week and a half ago, someone needing help with a windshield repair um, because their abuser broke their windshield, okay? And they couldn't afford to, to, to repair it. I mean, there was someone that um, needed help with car repair. Uh, that's something that the abuser typically would take care of and they couldn't afford it. Uh, a lot of, uh, we get a lot of requests for emergency hotel stays. Uh, folks have, you know, decided to leave or they have fled and um, there is no vacancy or no um, shelter beds, domestic violence shelter beds available in the state. That means they could potentially be homeless. Um, these emergency shelter stays are one-time grants that we give um, mm -hmm. to help with, you know, emergency hotels. Uh, so that folks can get off the street and uh, get a shower, get a meal, um, and be safe for the night so that they can continue to call um, for DV services that they need um, without the fear of being homeless. So there's a lot of what that fund helps with. It is anything under the sun, um, as long as it's related to domestic violence, um, emergency situations, or someone is thinking about leaving an abusive situation and needs help with an, an immediate expense. And then we meet the homeless where they're at. If we, you and I are experiencing homelessness, um, not homelessness, if you and I are experiencing homeless, uh, homelessness, if you <laughs> and I are experiencing uh, domestic violence when we live under, you know, four walls, can you imagine for somebody that's living on the street yeah. that is experiencing the same thing that does not know that they deserve the help or know that there is help available for them? We go out and we serve men and women with these bags of toiletries um, and a brown bag lunch. But we also meet um, folks on the street who are affected by the issue of abuse and um, point them in the right direction for help. And we do meet folks on the street um, that, you know, where domestic violence led them to homelessness. And uh, we try to just make them know that there is help available. So. Yeah, it's a lot. It's we do a lot. I can go through all the initiatives, oh, do, but we would be here for hours, <laughs> um, just to know that you know at least once per quarter we're hosting an initiative that gets people involved in being part of the solution. Yeah, and if it's... folks want to find out more about you know the initiatives themselves, they can visit lovelifenow.org. Again, lovelifenow.org. Thank you, Laverne. Yeah, it's what you're doing within everything that you mentioned. It's it, there's already so much resources for everyone, and it's amazing and it's wonderful. And then that's also like, I mean, this is all based on like your story too, like behind yeah. what you had to go through. And it's just like, damn, like really, it's it's yeah, no words. <laughs> really yeah, no, I mean. 
Yeah. The, I come, I, you know, when I think about folks that have had, that are in these situations daily, I think about myself every yeah. single time. What would that have looked like for me? Um, again, I had a studio apartment that I was living in. I was able to change my locks. Um, I was able to take myself to the hospital. You know, there are all these things that sort of, I, and I, I hate using the word worked in my favor, but many people don't have those amenities when they're fleeing. Um, it's, it's, you know, they've been living with their abuser. They have nowhere to go. Even if they have somewhere to go, they're, they're carrying this level of shame. They don't want people to know. Um, it is crazy when folks decide to leave because it's, again, it's not just about picking up and leaving. So I count myself and I put myself in people's situations um, and just think about my mom and what she went through and not knowing. Um, yes, there was help back then. Nobody knew about it. Domestic violence was a completely accepted thing um, that, you know, people just kind of went about and was like, okay, it happened to you. Now what? Or you deserve it. Or you're there because you want it. And this was the level of thinking. Now that we have so much, or I, I shouldn't say so much, there's so much more work to do, but there is awareness, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that is what I'm grateful for. People are talking about the issue more, um, but we have to keep talking. Uh, it doesn't stop with, you know, one conversation or one Zoom. Um, it's it's continuing the conversation so that we can reach the people where they're at or the persons where they're at to understand that, you know, what's happening to you doesn't have to be it at all. It hasn't it doesn't have to be the end all. Yeah. I I agree. It's it all starts with one, but then we gotta keep continuing mm -hmm. spreading the word. Exactly. And then spreading spreading it for other people that there is help. Mm -hmm. There are people here like not well, not la in a way right. I guess like like right. almost like you're not alone. Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and so um thank you so much Laverne for sharing really appreciate it if for to ending it what would what is a key takeaway that you'd like to share to our audience based on what you shared yeah I guess it would be um where you are is not where you are destined to be um this issue breeds in silence and so from the very moment you open your mouth to disclose what's happened to you to someone that you trust, even if it's not someone in your circle, I know how hard that can be to open up to some to, to someone that you're close to because you're you have this fear of being judged um, or being blamed even for for what's happened. Even if that's not the case, reaching out to your local domestic violence agency to find out. Um, what help is available to you. They are everywhere in every county, in every town. Well, not every town, but every county, there's at least one, right? And so um, to be able to just pick up the phone and disclose um, confidentially is the best thing that you will ever do. Uh, they have counseling, free counseling, and or your children. And really um, is so paramount to making your next step to where you could be. So again, your abuser has put this in your head that you absolutely don't have any choice except them. And that is so far from the truth. Opening up to someone that you trust. And again, even if it's not someone in your circle, um, someone uh, third party at a domestic violence agency, an advocate that can help you navigate next steps 
is really paramount. Speak up and understand again that where you are is not where you're destined to be. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That was, I even feel it like, I feel it in my heart too. Like you're not destined to be where you're at. And so thank you again for joining us, Laverne. We really appreciate it and sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you again Thank so you much. Tina. We appreciate I appreciate you. Thank you for creating space to have the conversation. Yes. Um, thank you everyone for listening in. If you if you enjoy this uh, podcast, please please um look at the please look at the uh, conversation. Almost oh, Omar. It's okay. It's okay. Um if you enjoy this podcast. Please look out for new episodes every Tuesday on a courageous inner beast. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoy our conversation and would like to get connected with Laverne Gordon, please be sure to look in the description and show notes for more information and for the links.